All right. Did you guys have a good Christmas? Good. I'm glad and glad you guys had a good Christmas. My family, we had a great Christmas. I enjoyed some great time with, with some family. Um, and one of the things that I really enjoy about Christmas is watching my kids open their presents. Now, when they were little, the boxes were more, more, more fun for them than the actual gifts. Um, but now, as they're getting a little older, um, they're kind of understanding it more about what a present is. But there's just so much joy in, the, in, the, in their eyes when they open a gift. I absolutely love it. And I have this very vivid memory uh, from this Christmas of my son, Josiah, when he opened his stocking. Now, before I tell you about that, let me give you a little backstory. Uh, about a month back, uh, Josiah and I were home alone, which some of you are thinking, you left dad home alone with the kid. Anna, we'll talk to you later. No, he's like, it was all good. It was good. I love, I love, take, I love being home and watching, well, I get to uh, watch, the, watch our kids. Um, but Bubba and I were, we stayed home. Addie was in school. Anna was at work at the coffee shop. And so it was just the two guys at home. And... And so um, I said, I said, Josiah, let's make some breakfast. And, and if you follow me on, on any kind of social media, you know, I, I, I make some weird things sometimes with the food. I use a lot of leftovers. And one of my favorite things to do, and it's not really gross, it's actually really good, is taking, taking some rice that Anna's made and fried up with some eggs. And, um, and then I usually put a little meat with it, or that day I had avocado. And, um, and so I did that for Josiah and I, and I called it man food, men food, because two men were eating it, right? So then I proceeded to like, oh man, I need some coffee this morning. So I made some coffee and I proceeded to call that man drink and uh, gave Josiah some man drink. Now, hang on a second. Most of his coffee was creamer, okay? Um, but he does enjoy every once in a while a sip of dad's black coffee and loves it, okay? Um, so we had some man drink. So we're about ready to sit down, about ready to enjoy some, some good food. And then I realized, oh, I forgot my most important ingredient. Put some hot sauce on mine. So I put some, grab the hot sauce. And then, I, and then I thought, you know, keeping with the theme of the day, I called it some man sauce. And I said, Bubba, do you want some man sauce? And he goes, yeah! <laughs> Seriously, like that. And, uh, and so I put, some, I put a little bit of man sauce on his, on his food, and he absolutely loved it, loves it. It has not gone away from it since. As of yesterday, I made some, some, uh, some, some coffee cake, and the first thing Bubba says, man sauce, dad. I was like, no, son, you can't put man sauce on coffee cake. <laughs> Just would not be so good. But anyway, so that's the backstory. So he gets to stocking, and, and I um, went to the store, and I bought him a little bottle of Cholula sauce. And he is going through a stocking, he pulls it out and goes, man sauce! <laughs> Again, that's exactly what he did. He jumps up from where he was sitting and runs to the pantry and wants to put his man sauce right next to dad's big bottle of man sauce. Just, I mean, the look on his face, the delight that he had of having that gift. That's, to me, what Christmas is all about. With Christmas behind us now, we are anticipating the new year, 2018. A lot of you in this room maybe have big plans tonight. You're going over to some friends' house, friends coming over, hanging out, and just enjoying a good time as you ring in the new year. But for some, the new year brings anxiety, some uncertainty. 
For others, you're excited about a new year because it's an opportunity for a new start. There's a freshness in the air, a do-over of sorts. And lots of people at this time of year make New Year's resolutions or, or goals, things that they hope to accomplish in the new year. And we all have really good intentions as we go into the new year, hoping to be a different person than we were the previous year. And some of us in this new year have expectations or desires to be a different sort of person than we were this last year. We hope to maybe to move forward from certain fears that have kept us down, failures that have defined us, and pain that has just crippled us. Or maybe we have character and personality goals, like I want to be stronger, I want to lose some weight, I want to be better at making decisions. I hope to be more compassionate. One of my constant goals that I have for myself, I'm always taken to the shop to get tuned up on, is how I view and treat people around me. You might say, well, Josh, um, you seem to be a very well, nice, grounded, well man. Like, what do you need to work on? Well, thank you for that. But some of you may think, uh, no, he's not. And so, anyway, if that's your case, I'm sorry that we've had that instance, but, but in all honesty, people have a messy and sometimes unwelcomed way of teaching us greater truth. The longer life that I've lived, I'm beginning to see people in my life with greater significance and value. I'm beginning to get glimpses of how they and should be able to reflect God's image in our life. People can teach us so much. And this year, it remains my goal to get further glimpses of who God is through my interactions with people. So when you see this image, what do you think about? Coffee? Exactly. Anything else? I see coffee getting cold, and that's the wrong thing. Uh, but no, I really do see two people being engaged in a conversation. One of my favorite things to do with Anna um, is to go on coffee dates. BC, before children, um, this was a very common date that Anna and I had. We would go often to coffee shops um, and, and enjoy just the atmosphere that was around there. AC, after children, I think we've been on a coffee date three times, maybe, if we're lucky there. Um, but the reason we love coffee, what was that? I missed them. Way to go. Way to go, Jake. There we go. Uh, but one of the reasons we love coffee shops is the environment that they create. They do a very good job in creating a place where you can get lost in conversation with the other person. The lights are set perfectly. The music is set at a great level. It's not very intrusive. The, the seating is really comfortable. The place is just set up to come on in, like take a load off and enjoy the atmosphere around us, around you. Then there are some other coffee shops that we have visited where you can tell right away they don't want you to stay. They, it's, it's just set up that way. They want you to get in, get out, and get on with your day. But there is something about coffee shops 
that help us to converse. We will specifically plan to meet friends at a coffee shop to get away from the chaos of life and just enjoy the person that's in front of us. I mean, we live in a coffee shop mecca, don't we? Like the Pacific Northwest is just the culture of coffee is all around us. And, and for some of us, we become coffee snobs in some kind of way because of it's all around us. And we enjoy, most of us enjoy the satisfaction of having a full cup of warm coffee in our hands, even in 100 degree weather. In our society, we go way too fast. We don't take time to stop and chat with people unless it is scheduled into our calendars. And that's one for me. I'm, I'm like, I live by my calendar on my phone. We are such a fast-paced society that we have apps to help us to order coffee at our coffee shop. We have apps to help us to order fast food because Taco Bell is too slow, and so we need an app to help us to get the food faster. Now, truth be told, um, I do use my Starbucks app sometimes. I really do enjoy that. Um, and another confession, I have used the McDonald's app. It was like a few weeks ago when um, I took the middle school boys out to a, a breakfast, and Jared Newman and I did not want to wait in line, so we downloaded the app and ordered fast food from our app. It was weird, all right? It was just weird, ordering food from our app. But hey, we got it. But we're going too fast that we forget how to be civil with people sometimes that we encounter. One of the things I love to do, and I've mentioned this before in, in sermon, is that I love to use the name of the person that is helping me at the store. In fact, their name is located on them. It says who they are. And these are a few of my name tags over the years. Um, I like the one, the white one, better. Um, but there's just something about reusing someone's name in a conversation. I love doing it, too, because then they, like, the person who's helping me was like, gets up like, wait, how do you know my name? They're confused. I think they're being punked or something. And, and, and then I get to have a conversation with them, especially if it's a conversation around their name, if it's a unique name. I love that. I love getting to know the person just because I've used their name. It's a great way to show value to someone for who they are, not just for what they do. If you've been listening to any of Pastor Ed's messages since he's arrived, you've heard him say some of the same things. In fact, he even challenges as a church to throw a party for the people that live around you. And as a pastoral team, we've been encouraged to hear some of the stories that people have been sharing with us about how you've been having the parties and getting to know your neighbors. I absolutely love that. And I would love to hear some more. And, and some of you are like, well, how do I go about doing it? Well, I may give you one little hint right here. The message kind of helps you with some of that. But also, Super Bowl is coming up. And that's a great natural party where you, maybe you can invite some people over and enjoy, enjoy the company. Part of helping to build the kingdom of God is to first knock on your neighbor's door and start a conversation. And to do so, not with the intent of doing a good deed or evangelizing or marking off on your checklist of like, I did that for today, now I'm good to go. Or just throwing a Christian track at them and, and say, have fun reading that, I'm out of here. What I'm getting at is building the kingdom of God isn't always done from within the walls of the church. But it's in the homes of the people living right next door to you. 
It's, be, it's being willing to be there during, for them during the times of joy and excitement. It's being there in times of the grief and the scary and the fearful times of life. It's being there in times of having parental struggles with your neighbor. It's being there or helping them, maybe giving them dating advice or something like that. We can all learn a little bit about people if we just take a time out and listen to them and have a conversation with them. This is exactly what Paul did in the passage that we're going to be reading uh, from today. So if you have your Bibles, I'll encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 17. And it's a little bit of a longer uh, of a passage. Since Ed only gave me one time to preach, I have to do it all in one time. So put your seatbelts on. Here we go. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Echipanarian and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where he said to them, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there uh, spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered and others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, that, Paul left the council and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Interesting passage of scripture. I really enjoyed it the more I got to study it. There's so much in this passage. But let me give you a quick little context here. Paul is on his second missionary journey here. Paul takes a total of three, and they're recorded in the book of Acts. And um, it's really fun to go go and see how how Paul 
how God is using Paul as he's traveling. And actually, and for some of you in your Bibles, you actually have maps of that show his journeys, and you can go and take a look at those. But in the very beginning of this, in verses 16 through 18, we see that Paul is coming from somewhere. He's coming from a town called um, Berea. And and in Berea, he was there presenting the gospel, and and things are going pretty well. And then all of a sudden, some people from Thessalonica said, we don't like what he's doing here, so we're going to go down to Berea, and we're going to cause issues. And that's what they did. They went down to Berea to cause issues for Paul and his ministry that was going on. So some of the believers take Paul and take him to Athens for him to kind of be safe and to stay there. And like, stay put, don't move. We'll come back for you in a little bit to continue the journey. Well, if you know anything about Paul from your readings of him, you know that Paul does not like to sit on his hands and wait for anything to get done. Paul starts wandering the city and starts looking at the richness of Athens and seeing all that's going on. And he cannot not have conversation with people. He begins to have a dialogue with them. He starts in the marketplace, the common place where people would, would, would be at and on the daily commutes of things. And, and he's engaging in conversation with them. And, and actually, in, in our translations, the translators use a word called, they use the word reasoned. And that's a fairly good word, but reason to me also has meaning of like he was trying to prove something. But if you look at what Paul was doing in the original language of the Greeks, he uses a word called, and the word is deomegmiai, which means he, a con, having converse, discuss, to argue, to inform, to instruct. And so I was looking at this as saying like Paul is trying to, he's having a conversation with people. He's listening to them. He wants to know about what's happening in their culture. He wants to know, why do you have all these gods? Like, what is going on? He's intrigued about what's happening there. In this passage, Paul is doing what we all should be doing, listening, asking questions, getting to understand people without making assumptions first. I'm sure if you went to Athens, you would have probably just had assumption upon assumption about how they live. And we don't see that in the text. Maybe Paul might have had some of that, but we don't see that. What we see is that Paul goes into the marketplace and has dialogue with people. He gets to understand them. Since Paul is asking questions and is talking about the things that he is, he's witnessing, he's encountering two groups of people when he's there. Two groups of uh, philosophy that are there. The first one is the Ekpanarians, and then the other one is the Stoics. And these two groups of philosophy are so different from one another. The Epicureans they value pleasure, the absence of pain and disturbance, and disbelieved in the gods of ancient myths. They were, their philosophy group was more really directed towards the upper educated class. And their views about God were very similar to deism, which is that God was uninvolved in the universe and is irrelevant. The Stoics are the other group, and this was the the most popular form of Greek philosophy in Paul's day. Not everyone were Stoics, but their ideas were everywhere in the culture that they were living. You couldn't get away from it. They believe in a supreme God, but in a very pantheistic way, meaning that everything is God. 
These flowers are a God. The chairs are a God. My shirt is a God. You know, like everything was a God to them. And as these groups heard Paul talk, they were intrigued, invited Paul to the area Papapiclis. I'm saying that wrong, so forgive me. Um, but they invite him to this very prominent place, an intellect place in Greek culture. And actually, if you read in history a little bit, you will see that it's actually this group of people as well who sentenced Socrates to death as well, forced him to drink Hemlock, if you remember that story. So these people have a lot of power and sway in the Greek culture. They're very intellects. They're very high up, this big decision makers. And you read in the text that all they do all day is sit around and talk about stuff. In verses 19 to 32, Paul is speaking to this group of people, the highest level of intellect in Athens. Paul takes what he learned from the marketplace, from the, the common folk, and, and is able to present to them a gospel message based off of what they have in front of them. In verse 23, Paul makes reference to an altar he found that had the inscription to an unknown God. Literally, he's saying that this place is just a junkyard of religion. There's a variety of gods everywhere. And the reason they have an altar to an unknown God is because at one point, um, I forget the guy's name, crazy name, uh, he decides, like, man, like, I don't think we should offend any other gods. So we're going to make an altar for an unknown God. Like, in case we're missing someone here, we have an altar for them so that we can worship them in case something happens. And that's how they get the altar of the unknown God. Paul began to evangelize or literally tell the Christian gospel to this wide array of individuals without throwing out random scriptures to them. If he would have talked to them as he did to the Jews, they would be lost because they wouldn't have understood the Pentateuch, the Torah. Paul met them where they were. He did a great deal of listening. And what is fascinating here is that the more that Paul listens and speaks and engages with them, despite the differences in belief, the people are intrigued and they want to hear more. See, at first they thought Paul was talking about two gods. They thought he was talking about Jesus and a God named Resurrection, because that's what they thought. But as Paul was able to communicate with them a little bit more, he was telling them, Jesus resurrected from the dead. And that's what gives us life. We all know that. We know that story. But Paul begins to tell the council who this God really was. That he's the creator and the source of life. The one who, that guides all history and whom we live and move and have our being. And that we are his offspring. Now you may think that that is Old Testament words right there. It's not. Those words, those phrases come from Greek a Greek poet, and a Greek playwright. Paul was a learned man. Paul was intelligent. Paul knew the culture. And so Paul found some elements from their culture and brought it into his conversation with them that had truth in it. In 
he doesn't dismiss it because it wasn't his truth or it wasn't the, go- or the gospel or scripture. And the main point that Paul is able to bring to the table is that this God who made the world and everything in it cannot live and be contained in houses or shrines or idols made with human hands. And we see that right in scripture. It happens as we see that. He made the creatures. The creatures didn't make him. Paul explains that this God made the earth too as a place for humanity to seek after God and not just seek, but to find him. That's the point. This God wants to be known and can be known. He isn't far off. He isn't disengaged. He's near. He's very near. And that's what Paul is communicating to the Athenians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul explains what he actually did in Athens. And we all know this verse very well. He says, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, I want to save as many people as I can. So I'm going to get to know people. I'm going to get to know their literature. I'm going to get to know everything I can about them so that I can present the gospel to them in a way that they will understand. Paul has given us an example and something that we need to practice daily with the people that we're talking with. If we can find points of connection along the way, we should use them. But the gospel is always primary, so don't forsake the gospel in your attempt to reach people. Communicate about our God who wants to be known and can be known. And it isn't limited or, or confined outside of our world. He's engaged with our world. He's involved with our world. It's, he's not distant from the real things that we face. The pain, the failures, the, the strivings that we have. We communicate this truth not just in our words, but in how we show up, how intentional that we are with people, and how we're listening to them even if they're not from the same belief. It's in how we ask questions in getting to know people. It's in how we dignify an individual by acknowledging who they really are and not just by putting the label on them and putting them in a category box. To better get to know people, we need to be engaged with them. Have them over to your house. Invite them over. Invite them to coffee. Spend time listening to them. We need to spend time studying other cultures and other faiths. And as you study other faiths and cultures, you will learn ways of how to present the gospel. Example, my little brother, Joey, he is a professor of religion at Clackamas Community College, and, and, and he makes it a point to get to, to know other faiths. He has spent a year studying Islam. He has spent a year studying Mormonism. And what he does in those times is he reads their literature. He gets to know people. He finds where they're at and has conversations with them. He goes to their places of worship to to understand them. And then in those moments, he's able to present the gospel because he knows what they believe. Not an assumption of things he read online, it's things he's had communications with them about. And he's developed a relationship with them to be able to have those conversations. You might discover maybe in doing that why a person holds to a certain belief because of perhaps an abusive truth in their life. See, evil has a way of twisting 
truth until it's no longer recognizable? What is at the root or the heart of that belief? There might be some real pain or some hurt that's there that left them believing how they believe. People might find peace or a sense of fulfillment from their belief. But we can't assume that we know what has led that person to believe without first knowing them. In a recent article in a relevant magazine, um, it says this, that sociologists tell us that, and it varies a percentage or two year by year, but 43 to 44% of people will go through a major life transition at some point in their life. And that's any faith transition. So it can be from one Christian denomination to another denomination. It can be from belief, from belief to atheism. And it can also be, and this happens, from secularism to some kind of form of religiosity. And here's the thing. I see a lot, I see a lot of this with our students that I get to work with. Many began being raised in the church where church attendance is strongly encouraged. And they get stickers and all that kind of stuff for their attendance. But then life starts to happen. They start growing and they start having questions. And, and as a church, not just this church, but the church globally get scared of questions, and, and, and we start pushing them away based off of ways of, because we don't converse with them. We don't allow them to ask the hard questions. We say things like, like, by asking that question, you are doubting your faith, and that's wrong, when in really, in reality, it's probably not a bad thing that they're asking those questions. It's helping them to, to grow deeper in their faith and what they really know. I want questions. I encourage my students to ask questions. I want them to wrestle with things. I want them to wrestle with their faith. I want them to wrestle with God. I want them to wrestle about the universe, the purpose and meaning of life in the context of the church where we should be able to help them understand. But the fact that almost half of us would go through some sort of faith transition makes me recognize the need for an ongoing dialogue and a relationship with people, both before, during, and after these times that they're in this process. Oftentimes, people in the church community treat evangelism like a chipmunk treats food. Have you ever seen a chipmunk go after food? Like, he, he gets in his hole and he, like, looks around and then sprints out shoves a bunch of food in his cheeks, and then sprints back to his, his, his house, back to the safety of his house. We treat evangelism a lot of the same way. we like, okay, here we go. Ready? Open the doors. Open the doors. We run out. We do our thing and get back into the safety of the church as quickly as we can because we don't want to mess with the filth and dirt that is out there in the world because we are scared of it. Now, maybe some of you disagree with that, but that's how I view it and see it. If you told me that you just met someone that you're going to marry, I would have more than one reservation for you. I would have a lot of questions for you. Too often as we share Christ, we think that, that once someone comes to know Jesus, that that's it. We pat them on the back in the handshake, throw them a Bible and say, see, see you at church, man. But we don't realize that we need to, that's just when the work starts to happen. 
that we need to be engaged with them. We need to continue to meet with them. We need to continue to process with them because you all remember when you came to know Jesus, there were so many questions you had. And nowadays, we can get online and find answers that aren't really truly good biblical answers. We need to continue to be there for people, continue to give them solid relationships. And that takes time. Relationships take time. It's messy. It's messy. Many of us choose not to engage beyond the surface because we just don't have all the answers or because we're afraid that if we do, we might lose our faith to that person of another culture. Or we may not have an answer for them. But here's two things I want to tell you. First off, hold on to the truth. Stay grounded. Always stay tuned to the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to move you. Guys, I have been amazed at how many times I've entered conversations with people, and I get done with that conversation, like, what just happened? It's because the Holy Spirit starts speaking through me and using me as a vessel to communicate the truth. The other thing about staying, staying grounded to the truth is study God's word. Study it. Love it. Pretend it's that, it's that love letter from your, from your boyfriend or girlfriend that you just want to read over and over and over again. You know every period in that sentence or that note. Like, memorize it. The second is surround yourself with a steady body of believers, of Jesus followers, as I say in my notes. Not just surround yourself with people who are religious or who go to church, but with people who are they themselves are always growing and always learning, being challenged, and they're speaking life into you. Into you. Let me let you on a little secret here, okay? Ready for it? Not all church people are like that. Spirituality is such a buzzword, a buzzword today that it's not merely about meditation, about morning Bible study, reading, or church attendance. A true spiritual person cultivates a life of love. A Jesus follower will know the love of Jesus and his point of view. We will see people not as categories or projects to be one, but as people that are all made in the image of God that are in need of the Savior need of knowing that hope exists beyond death in the grave. Paul saw people in Athens in need of knowing who Jesus really is and the power of the resurrection. He began to listen to them and he talked to them. He talked to them with understanding and with their own language. He reasoned and related and listened and shared. My prayer is that this coming year, you will make it a goal for yourself to get to know someone else and, and enter into a spiritual friendship, a spiritual relationship. And you have no goal of converting that person, but entering into a relationship with them. As the relationship grows and you earn trust, you can start sharing Jesus and what he's done in your life. That speaks more than our words. People should know us by what we stand for, not for what we stand against. And one of the most fascinating things to me about the life of Jesus on earth was how he valued people all around him. Today's culture overall 
can have a low view of life and of people. We easily put people in categories. Who was in? Who was out? Who was worthy? Who was not worthy? Here's the thing. Jesus valued the outcasts. Jesus valued the sick, the diseased, the people who were thrown out. He made a point to go and reach them and touch them, not for healing, but to show them that someone cares and loves for them. Our culture is the same. Our culture is the need of people to rise up and to be like Jesus. He valued and acknowledged them for not what they did, but for who they were. They're his, and each single one of them reflect his image, the image of God. Did you realize that? All of us all reflect the image of God. The world needs that kind of example from his children. Our culture is crying out for hope. It's crying out for purpose. So because of that, we need to love people this year. Have a party. Invite them in. Don't invite your church friends. Invite the people living next to you. Value them for who, they, uh, who God has made them to be and, and how they can show you glimpses of God and how they mirror him. That is what I want from us as we move into the new year. Love people, show people, talk to people, have conversations with people, get to know people. Church, man, imagine what would it look like if we all took that seriously and we started to engage people not as a, as a trophy to be won and a belt notch that we did our good deed for Jesus today, but we got to know people for who they really are and understood them. This morning, we're moving into communion, and as you take communion this morning, I want you to be thinking about something. I want you to be asking Jesus, Jesus, is there someone in my life that I need to have conversation with? Jesus, would you point that person to me? Would you help me to get to know my neighbors? And Jesus, would you maybe mend a relationship I have with a neighbor? As we go through life, sometimes we build walls and, uh, with people by accident or maybe it's on purpose and, and then we can't have that relationship with them anymore. So maybe as you hold your elements in your hands this morning, you ask God, God, would you begin to knock down those walls? God, would you begin to show me how to love this person? Jesus' death and resurrection is something that we should not hide from people. Folks, it's a gift that's freely been given, and we need to give it to others and not hide it to ourselves. Jesus' love for people isn't something we should keep to ourselves. Jesus' body was broken. It was torn. It, was, it, it bled for us so that we could have a relationship with him and that we could then share that relationship with other people. Jesus welcomed all. Jesus taught to all, even the outcasts of society. What is stopping you from doing that? Is it your pride? Is it your fear? If it is, then take that community elements again and look at it, what Jesus did for you. 
and say, God, get this out of my life so I can show love, I can show people you this year. A prayer for you as you guys leave this morning is that you would be committed to getting to know people this 2018. Love people, love God, and show them what our faith is all about. Love you guys, and we'll, we'll see you guys next Sunday.